0: On this episode of the Nonprofit Ready Podcast, I speak with Alethea Hanneman, Vice President of Product and National Programs at the Taproot Foundation, about her career helping nonprofits enlist the service of skills-based volunteers.
1: We want to make sure that um, the, the project, whatever size project, whatever engagement it was, that the nonprofit got something valuable out of it.
0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Ready Podcast, conversations with accomplished professionals from across the nonprofit sector. About what they do, why they do it, and how they make change happen. I'm your host, Justin Waddell from NonprofitReady.org and the Cornerstone On Demand Foundation. And today, I'm pleased to be joined by Alethea Hanneman, Vice President of Product and National Programs at Taproot Foundation, a nonprofit organization mobilizing business professionals in pro bono service and connecting them with nonprofits in need of their unique skills and passions. Alethea is a frequent speaker on the topic of skills based volunteering an area of volunteer engagement that we are passionate about here at the Cornerstone On Demand Foundation. And we're very fortunate to have Alethea with us in our offices today. Alethea, thanks for joining our podcast.
1: Thank you, Justin. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, you know, we've done a lot of work with Taproot in the past and, you know, look forward to continuing our relationship in the future. And I know a lot of nonprofits who've benefited from your services. So I'm very eager to hear about your role and, you know, what your organization is doing now. And so perhaps we should start with What does your organization do? For those who haven't used Taproot before, please enlighten.
1: Sure. So Taproot exists to bring pro bono to nonprofits in areas other than legal. So in the same way that the legal profession has built out a a solid expectation that lawyers are going to give back to the community, we're hoping to make that easier for other professions such as HR, IT, management, And so on, you know, marketing, get those people uh, good opportunities to engage with nonprofits in their communities. So we do that in a number of different ways. Uh, First, we're in five cities, on the ground in five cities. And so we work with nonprofits in those cities to get them the skills uh, that they need to, you know, accomplish key things like, you know, uh, addressing turnover in their organization or building a good employee manual or getting a great competitive analysis so they can make good program decisions. So uh, that's the first bucket of the work that we do. Second, we also work with uh, corporations, mainly Fortune 500 corporations, to help them build pro bono into their employee engagement programs. So really helping to get a good supply of professionals um, working in the nonprofit sector pro bono. And then finally, we do a lot of um, you know, thought leadership and general consciousness raising around the topic of pro bono. Because you know again, when you say pro bono, people typically think legal. And we want them to be able you know, think beyond that and, and see the other possibilities.
0: Mm. Uh, very interesting work. Uh, how did you get involved with Taproot in the first place? Were you originally a volunteer and just fell in love?
1: Yeah, so that um, that's pretty much what happened. And that really? was Yeah, for a while. Uh, for a while when Taproot was smaller, that was the story for probably almost everyone who worked there. I was, at the time, I was working as a freelance writer. I'd been a technical writer for for years, have a lot of engineering in my background, and then went freelance, wanted to do more journalism, was writing fiction. So just, you know, kind of exploring things. Didn't really want a full-time job, but uh, at that point, um, found Taproot, signed up to be a volunteer copywriter, and then before I was able to get on a project, saw a job posting for a a product manager. And I said, well, I don't want that full-time job, but if I did, this would be it. So, you know, I just love, love, loved the idea. It really grabbed me from the beginning, just the, you know, there's just pure brilliance. Why am I not using my skills instead of, or in addition to, you know, going and, and dishing soup or licking envelopes or whatever, you know, however many ways there are to get involved in the community, this was one that was lacking. So, yeah.
0: now had you worked in the nonprofit sector before?
1: Uh, I had not, not extensively. I mean, I'd worked at a nonprofit press, um, Mm -hmm. in, in graduate school and that was pretty much the extent of it. I mean, I'd done a lot of volunteering, but again, you know, pretty standard stuff. So I didn't know much about the sector at that point.
0: Mm -hmm. Is there an element of the nonprofit sector that really surprised you?
1: Hmm. How fun it is to be super scrappy. (laughs) I think that's, I think the startup mentality. Yeah, it is. It, you know, it's, it's, and it, nonprofits don't often get credit for that. I mm-hmm. mean, they are the original startups, frankly, they're all bootstrapping it. They're super scrappy. They figure out how to make stuff work and they do it every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, my team laughs at me because my, you know, the most, they, they call it the, you know, we'll figure it out index. How many times in a day I say, oh, you know what? We'll figure that out. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. And we do. So that's, that was a pleasant surprise, how interesting and innovative and always exciting it can be. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, let's talk about your role a little bit. You're vice president of product and national programs. Mm-hmm. If you meet someone at a conference, what exactly do you tell them your role does?
1: <laughs> uh eat bonbons
0: <laughs> sounds delicious yeah,
1: exactly <laughs> um get to do fun things like podcasts no uh so you know what i do is is try our our team puts the infrastructure behind the services that we're delivering with our many thousands of volunteers so we give them the tools to do the right job for nonprofits, we mm-hmm. give the nonprofits the tools to really take advantage of this, you know, wealth of of community skills. So, you know, we hand over the toolbox. We figure out um, how we evaluate what's working and not, mm-hmm. and we do the R and D behind. Behind, okay, we're seeing a need here. What's the type of service? What's the type of person who can help a nonprofit address that particular
0: need? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. I feel like you can analogize that to a lot of what just the nonprofit sector does in general, mm-hmm. identifying needs within the community and mm-hmm. developing programs to better serve those. How do you go about identifying those needs and really developing responsive products to address them?
1: Yeah. So, a lot of it is I mean, we're fortunate to have been doing this for 14 years now. So, we have a really strong customer base, um, just many, many nonprofit organizations and individuals. Uh, who we've worked with, um, can talk to, you know, can survey, can drop in on, uh, and just, you know, want to hear more about what their needs are. So we'll do everything from, you know, I I try to have as many conversations as I can with organizations and try to pull out trends there. Um, We work with other organizations that are looking at um, trends and capacity building in general to think about, you know, paid capacity building, fee-based stuff and say, okay, what of this can we support? Uh, is, is there some area of pro bono that, um, some area where pro bono could really
0: help? Mm-hmm. Sounds like a lot of your work involves relationships with external stakeholders. Mm-hmm. How do you balance your work day in terms of mm-hmm. communicating with the nonprofits and volunteers you serve yeah. and really working with your staff to develop those products?
1: Yeah. Uh, it's so, it's interesting. There's a lot of, um, sort of meta layers in Taproot. So, you know, Taproot in general, you have to be a very specific type of person to work there because you're not always in contact in direct contact with the organizations. You know, uh, some of our program teams are and they'll talk to them, but a vast majority of the organization isn't. So you have to be okay with that step back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a little bit more of a cerebral connection than an emotional connection. Mm-hmm. Um, and my team in particular, you know, the product team, we're behind the scenes, we're building the technology, we're building the training, we're, you know, uh, building all of the, uh, resources that people use. So the way I balance that really is, uh, and this is both to make my job, um, you know, to be better at my job, but also to be more happy at my job is I have to get out there and be in the community sometimes, um, you know, I will sit in on nonprofit interviews. I will call a nonprofit up and ask them, you know, what are certain challenges that they're facing right now? Um, I will sit in on a volunteer orientation and listen to what they're talking about, what, you know, what their motivations are. How can we help address, you know, the reason this person is giving a hundred hours of their time to a nonprofit in her community. So I'm very purposeful about that. And I try to be very, I try to help my team to be very purposeful about that as well, both for research purposes, because we have to know our customers, but also just to, you know, feel good about what you're doing and be able to touch, get a little closer to that end results in the community. Mm
0: -hmm. Interesting. Now, you mentioned that evolution of nonprofits perspectives about pro bono. Let's talk about the evolution of just your role. How has it changed since you first got started? Could you have foreseen what you're doing today? Hmm.
1: Probably not, but I would have known it would be something really exciting and fun. Just because the day I walked into Taproot and and met our founder, uh, I knew uh, I'd found a kindred soul, someone who loved the impossible and was going to make the impossible possible. And that was kind of the role that I played with him. Was he would say something that sounded totally crazy and audacious, this enormous goal. And, you know, then together we'd figure out how to make it real. And that's really been what, um, you know, what my job has looked like over the past eight years. So I've really been in the same role with, you know, title changes. And when it, when I started, it was just me, um, eight years ago. And now I've got a team of about, um, a dozen to 15, depending on, um, depending on the year and and what we're working on. And it's just been a super exciting challenge every year and that Taproot is always growing and evolving, not away from our mission. Our mission is not changing, but the ways we can engage, you know, the the two sectors have just grown and exploded every single year.
0: Mm-hmm. I like your motivation to really take on these crazy, audacious goals. Yeah. You know, Google calls them moonshots. Yeah. You know, we love it. Our organization as well. How do you calibrate your approach to moonshots? Hmm.
1: Um, you might want to ask my team that question <laughs> and see and see what see what they say. Um, you know, first, I think our criteria for figuring out what we want to take on is, you know, how big is the impact going to be? Obviously, because because that's what you want to get at, and just to see whether it's even you know worth your while, and. I really have been embracing the lean mentality more, which is let's just throw something out there and see if we get any bites or
0: takers. Um, mm-hmm. and, and for those who aren't accustomed hmm. to the lean mentality, could you provide a quick definition for our listeners?
1: Sure, yeah. So, so lean is um, pretty popular in technology these days, but is is um, you know going beyond technology as well to just general program development, business development, whatever it might be. But it's a a method of approaching um, building a product that says the best thing you can do is get something real out there very quickly because that's what you're going to, you know, that's when you're really going to know if the idea has legs. Doing, you know, you have to do some planning and you have to do some building, but this, um, what they call a minimum viable product is really the best thing to test because you're going to learn so much by working with real people and real customers.
0: It sounds like to get any of this off the ground and running really effectively you need to have a really effective team but what do you look for in your team when you're building it out
1: yeah um what do i look for i look for agility and flexibility um i look for problem solvers is there a better way to do this um people who are open to experimentation in that way they're not going to do the same old thing over and over again you know they're just they're inquisitive um they are flexible. They have great appetites for those incredible, impossible things. Um, mm-hmm. When I say, well, maybe we could try this, and they say, but, but, they're going to say, but, but, and turn around and really make sure it's a no before they say no. And
0: then, you know, I was really interested. You mentioned that, you know, you started as the single employee in this division. Yeah. Now you oversee, you know, 15 people, depending upon the year. Uh, what's it been like for you to develop as a manager?
1: Yeah. Um, really fun. There's nothing I love more than seeing somebody succeed and, um, having helped them to do so. I mean, it just, it thrills me to see my team members just getting better and taking on more things. It thrills me when I can say, you know what, you can take that. Mm-hmm. And that, like, there's just no better feeling, um, in working with people, I think. And so I try to be very purposeful about, uh, employee development and, you know, putting people on projects where they can learn. I mean, there are, you know, every project at Tappert is a learning opportunity in many ways because mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're growing, um, so quickly and we run a really lean, slim organization. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's been a lot of learn as you go, which I suspect happens to a lot of managers and, and, a, you know, one way I deal with it is I try always to have a mentor, mm-hmm. whether that's formal or informal. And I've got different folks I tap for different areas of, you know, what I'm struggling with. So, you know, right now I'm thinking a lot about um, succession planning, not because I'm necessarily going to leave, but because, you know, my role is going to change as it continually has. So someone's going to be doing some of the stuff that I'm doing right now. So how do I get my employees really ready to do that? Mm-hmm. Um So I've got someone helping me with that, you know, got someone else helping me with, you know, just sort of general morale issues. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, how do I make sure that I'm monitoring that rather than running a million miles an hour, as we all do, and not stopping to make sure that the team is really nourished?
0: Mm -hmm. Is there a specific mentor who stands out from your early experiences, really helped you to get where you are today?
1: Yeah. So um, I'd have to say our founder, Aaron Hurst, was one of the the best um, mentors I've had and, Um, I mean, he was my boss, so (laughs) we had a lot of time together and he, um, I learned a lot about how to get people excited about those crazy, audacious things, Mm -hmm. um, and how much you can get out of people and how far you can get, uh, by getting them excited in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I also learned from him a lot about accepting your own limitations, which I think is really important because when I'm not good at something there's no reason for me to keep you know you know keep pushing on that thing I can bring in somebody else um, who can help provide you know or help fill that role
0: mm-hmm. I want to transition now to volunteer engagement mm-hmm. and you know a lot of what you do developing products to better serve these volunteers, better serve those nonprofits, and dive into you know, a lot of what they're asking for and how they approach the services. Mm-hmm. Let's first look at the perspective of a volunteer. Uh, what are the common objections that you actually hear from volunteers about coming to hmm. the platform for helping another nonprofit?
1: Yeah. So, you know, beyond the fact that there are some people who just don't like volunteering, <laughs> then mm-hmm. there's a species of people, there's a segment of people who really, really love the, um, you know, just the old style volunteering, just hands-on stuff. They like, you know, actually, you know, helping with the kids and, and, you know, that is, if that's their thing, then they're not going to be very happy with what we provide with skills-based volunteering. And that is fine. There is so much need in the world for that kind of extra hands work. Um, so then for people who do want to use their skills, um, who see this as a way to, you know, really give back in a, in a high value way, um, given what they know, it's, you know, the barriers you see are often time, obviously, because this type of engagement can can be a little bit deeper, um, although we we do have some programs that allow people to engage in a, in a lighter way um, if they're in a really busy phase in work, for example. Um, sometimes there is a hesitancy about using your professional skills in a totally different context. So will I know enough about the volunteer sector um, or the nonprofit sector? Will I know enough about, you know, the uh, child homelessness to be able to really, um, add some value here. So people get a little, uh, a little nervous about that. Um, I'd say those are the two biggest things, um, Mm. that, that hold people back from getting involved.
0: Interesting. So how do you find them in the first place?
1: The volunteers? Yeah. So we, you know, it's interesting. Tapper gets has historically gotten most of our volunteers from postings on job boards, and um, you know, and we could not do it without the incredibly generous donation of inventory that those job boards give us. Um, It's just incredibly important to our model. And what I find so interesting about that, I, I kept waiting for that to change because it seems odd, right? You're looking for a job and then you take a volunteer opportunity. I don't really get it. But mm-hmm. um, if you think about it, a lot of times when people are looking around on job boards, they just they want something different. Right. And they want something new. And I think, um, you know, this gives me great happiness. I think the right kind of volunteer engagement can give them that, you know, it can reenergize them in the work that they're already doing. We're increasingly using LinkedIn's volunteer marketplace to find, Mm -hmm. to reach out and find skills volunteer, um, skilled volunteers. Mm -hmm. And then increasingly, we're also getting a lot of referrals as well. You know, people talk about what they're doing. We're introducing things like, you know, badging on your um, LinkedIn profile, for example. So that sort of viral Mm -hmm. referral and sharing um, is becoming increasingly important because if you have a great experience, you want to tell your friends about it. Mm
0: And looking at the other side of the equation, the nonprofit side, you and I spoke a little bit about it before this mm-hmm. interview. Uh, what do you feel are the big challenges for nonprofits and really taking on pro bono volunteers?
1: Yeah. So one of the biggest challenges is just making space for that period. And, um, you know, it's, it's not even a question of pro bono. It's can I bring in a consulting project, right? A lot of times you, you don't have the time to bring on paid consultants, let alone, a pro bono team which you know does does require some additional management so having a project owner who can devote the time to really make the project successful can be very very difficult particularly for you know some of the smaller nonprofits Um, you know another huge barrier um, you know once people have decided they've got the time and they want to take something on is finding the right resource Um, it's just incredibly difficult and incredibly intimidating uh, for nonprofits to be able to find someone who can actually help them get the project done. So that's why a tool like Taproot Plus can be really helpful because we're connecting you to people who, you know, have the skills to get it done. So at least, you know, that part is is spoken for.
0: What would be the two most essential things a nonprofit should do before approaching Taproot Plus or the mm-hmm. larger Taproot grant program?
1: yeah. So I'd say that the two things would be um, getting to that that, that preliminary scope mm-hmm. because the scope will change when you talk to the resource, but really being clear about what's a must-have. Um, you know, if you finish this project and you don't have X, Y, or Z, you'll consider it a failure. Being really, really crystal clear about those things, and then being really crystal clear about the resource who owns the project and the one who owns the implementation, mm-hmm. the person because they might be different people. Um, the person running the project for the nonprofit and the person who's really going to take it forward take the results of the project forward
0: now, thinking about these projects, you know something that we have to bring up is impact. Mm-hmm. How do you think about measuring impact for all that you do in pro bono?
1: Yeah, so we want to make sure that um, the the project whatever size project whatever engagement it was that the nonprofit got something valuable out of it so there's a number of ways we go about it you know we do surveys immediately post project we do surveys three and six months out um, did you get what you needed are you using what you needed because that implementation piece is really really important for us if you got um, you know, this amazing CRM, for example, and you haven't really put it into play, that is not a good result to the project. So that's why we do those surveys out mm-hmm. and out. Um, you know, we're really trying to make, we're trying to give nonprofits the resources they need to do the good work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they feel better equipped in a functional area, you know, we ask that question as well, because, you know, oftentimes in doing these projects, it's not just you get the results of the project. You also um, learn more in that functional area. You make connections with uh, pro bono consultants who are going to come back and help you. Sometimes, you know, we hear all the time that um, someone who works with a nonprofit goes on to be on the board. So, you know, we're looking at all of those things as Mm -hmm. various measures of impact. Um, You know, another key measure is is the nonprofit going to use pro bono again? Have we taught them something? Will they be able to use pro bono without even using a connector like Taproot? Because eventually, We'd love to put ourselves out of business. We'd love that pro bono be so regular and such a part of every nonprofit's life that they know exactly where to to go to get a resource. Mm -hmm. Um, But we are starting to look at as well, um, trying to figure out, you know, our greater impact in the community. And so looking beyond just what we did with that organization, but what that organization was able to do as a result. So that's increasingly going to be a focus of our evaluation um, and something you know, our funders are rightfully asking, you know, what was what was the end result from mm-hmm. having that pro bono done?
0: Interesting. As you seek to expand that impact, you know, you mentioned you're on the ground in five cities mm-hmm. and Taproot Plus is taking you national, global mm-hmm. even. Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that you're staying accountable to those broader nonprofit sector needs, you know, beyond just the localized settings?
1: Yeah. So... It is interesting as we expand nationally to to see uh, what, the, what the needs are and also to consider what resources are in a nonprofit's community. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the reasons we're in our programs have historically been in five cities is, you know, in order to run programs at as large a scale as we do, you need a solid supply of volunteers, solid supply of nonprofits, and a solid supply of funders, which is one of the reasons we're in those five cities. So that we can, you know, run those large programs. The considerations are obviously slightly different when you get to a rural community. Um, so we're trying to get to those small, small bite, small package things that a nonprofit can approach with the resources in their community and learn more about the resources in their community, or can do virtually. Mm-hmm. And those things, um, those are the two ways that we're making sure we're addressing their needs without, you know, creating a demand that we can't satisfy.
0: All this talk of growth is maybe want to go back a little bit to your role, your organization, and your staff. You, know, you mentioned being in a startup mentality, mm-hmm. constantly growing, constantly starting new initiatives. How do you manage the delegation of responsibility in that kind of environment uh, with your employees? Mm-hmm.
1: So. How do you manage the delegation of that in a way that does not sound chaotic? <laughs>
0: right. How do you how do you find elegance in yeah. the chaos?
1: So I think the first thing is really knowing the skills that are on your team and also around the organization. I am constantly trying to learn more about who's on other people's teams, who I could tap for something small. You know, mm-hmm. can you add insights here that my team doesn't have? We are constantly, I mean, it's a week-to-week thing, um, sort of prioritizing and reprioritizing um, the, the our to-do list and making sure that what we're doing really, really is essential and, and not urgent because there are a million things, as in every organization, there's a million things that we could be doing. So,
0: mm-hmm. In that situation, I feel like it could be very easy for someone to get their feelings hurt or mm-hmm. to feel a little bit territorial about their specific niche. Mm-hmm. How do you manage that?
1: Um, you mean about like a project that we want to yeah. kill or? Yeah, it's, um, well, the best way is if you can, um, figure out a way that they see that the project is not a good fit for the organization. Right. Giving people agency to make decisions is good. I mean, there are plainly some projects that we should not do because it's a brand killer like that. We don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some projects we wouldn't do because you know, come on, it's going to take you a hundred hours and it's going to get you one more nonprofit in the door. Please do not. I mean, they're the very obvious ones. Um, but I do work pretty hard to give my team, to make sure my team has the information and the agency to make smart decisions. Um, sometimes I'll overrule, but not very often um, because I've given them that framework. Mm-hmm. On that,
0: Yeah. It sounds like you've got a very productive and flexible culture. Is that something that just happened or did you really work to build that?
1: Hmm. I'd say uh, it started with our founder, Aaron mm-hmm. Hurst, who is a very productive, flexible, entrepreneurial guy, and he really um, hired with that in mind. And I think a lot of us do. Um, so a lot of it is just getting the right people on board. Mm-hmm. A lot of it also, though, is is, is modeling. Um, you know, if you have a management team that is very rigid and yet demanding agility and flexibility from their from their, from their teams, that's not going to work. Um, so I think pretty much everyone in the organization sees us adapting, sees us, uh, you know, really, really sitting down and asking the hard questions about the decisions we need to make and the work we need to do.
0: That's great. I want to talk about some of the struggles that you may have encountered. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there a hard decision from your career at Taproot that stands out in your mind? and What did you learn Mm -hmm. from that?
1: Wow. Hard decision. Um you know, well I think sometimes well, this is it's to start on the um on the the biggest bummer hard decision is when you have someone who really isn't happy in their work and mm-hmm. you know that's that's something that everyone faces, right? How do you have that tough talk with someone when either they're not performing or whatever. A team member not fitting is just a really really cuz it's all about the team, right? And mm-hmm. and that person's a human being and they need to be happy in their work. So Um, those are hard decisions and you just learn how to deal with them by, you know, having done it, you know, a couple times and hopefully never having to do it again. But reality, you know, reality is reality. Um, I'd say the toughest decisions are always around good opportunities that we have to let go because we just don't have the resources to do it. And we would rather do 20 things really, really well, exceptionally well. We owe it to our constituency to do that than to do 40 things, not quite so well.
0: Mm-hmm. And in terms of knowing when to cut a project, mm-hmm. is there a rubric that you use to determine, you know what, let's focus in on these and not just add another?
1: Mm-hmm. So it is, you know, every year we, at least on my team, we, we try to um, uh, come up with some very solid three to five like sort of themes, their goals sometimes, Mm -hmm. but you know, other times they're, they're more themes like keep in touch with the customer or whatever it might be. Um, and you know, like right, right now, one of the biggest, basically like our guiding light is get more nonprofits to, um, to good pro bono, um, to good pro bono service opportunities. So if you keep those, if you keep coming back to those, Mm -hmm. That can sometimes be the only criteria you need. You know, mm-hmm. how much is this really going to help? Um, I'm also a big fan of two by twos, which is. Um, gosh, I wish I could draw on a podcast. But <laughs> imagine a whiteboard. <laughs> imagine a whiteboard, and I have driven. And I have <laughs> I've <have> drawn <laughs> a basically it's a square. Well, you got two axes, right? And then you divide the that that space into four. And so, say on one axis, um, one axis, you'll have. Um, like potential to, you know, hit this goal or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then on the other axis, you'll have difficulty. So how hard is it going to be to, to do this thing? And oftentimes, and then, you know, you plot the various projects along that and you'll see that some fall in the, you know, the very unhappy segment of it isn't going to do much good and it's going to be super hard. Cross those off, you know, easy, breezy, those things are gone. You know, what you're really looking for is the match of, something that has huge potential impact and is super easy to do. Mm-hmm. Those don't come along very often, but if you do, you got a clear winner and you go yeah. with it.
0: Golden goose.
1: Yeah. So that's, I mean, I'm a big, big fan of, I call those two-by-twos, and it's just, it, they can totally change your viewpoint just by seeing it visually mm-hmm. and forcing people to, you know, forcing every stakeholder in that room to really plot that project against those two things. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Uh, thinking about potential, uh, where do you see the potential of your career going at Taproot?
1: Oh, interesting question. Um, I, you know, I, I love, as I said, I love being in a place where my role has been different every, has been the same and different every year. So I think increasingly as we do more of these national um, and sort of lighter touch products um, and more tech based products, um, I think we're going to be concentrating there and that's some really exciting stuff because it's just a whole, a whole new world um, of skills and a whole new world of challenges, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, and then thinking about that, uh, you know, how do we get uh, outside of the states eventually um, is is pretty important. And then, as I mentioned, all these partnerships that we're working on, those are increasingly important to what I do. And I'm really enjoying that as well. Just being able to figure out, okay, what are the best ways that we can get the best out of your organization and our organization Mm -hmm. teamed up to make something amazing for the sector?
0: Mm -hmm. I love it. And the moonshots continue. Yes. It's awesome. More moonshots. You've had a great career so far. It sounds like you're going to have an amazing career for the foreseeable future. We
1: shall hope. <laughs> what
0: would you tell to someone contemplating a move into the nonprofit sector, or yeah. someone who may just be starting?
1: Yeah, great question. Um, I'd say, in you know, in the uh, with the whole lean mentality behind me, do something real as soon as possible and that might be pro bono pro bono is a great way you know um, we used to have a web page um or a page on our site that was all about sector switching if you're in the corporate sector and you want to think about getting into nonprofits, here are some things you can do and that was our number one most visited page for years and years and years and years um, because people were always searching about that you know getting involved in pro bono getting involved with an organization in your community um just learning more about what they do and how they do it You know, there's mentorship opportunities. You know, you don't necessarily have to join a board. Um, You know, Taproot has a virtual consulting program where you can start talking to nonprofits about their problems. So just getting involved in that way, I think, is really important. And then take it slow, you know, because it is, it can be quite a change. Um, You know, I'd say the last thing would probably just, you know, be be flexible and realize it's not always going to go smoothly. And the nonprofit sector is a difficult place to work in many, in many ways. You know, you don't, depending on where you're coming from, you don't, you simply do not have the resources that you might've had elsewhere, but what you don't get in resources you really make up for in those big audacious challenges and problems you get to solve every day. In an amazing, amazing group of just like driven, motivated. I love what I
0: do people. Well said. For our listeners who want to learn more about Taproot and potentially even take that leap into volunteering, where should they go?
1: Um, check out our website, taprootfoundation.org, and then also the website for our new product, which is taprootplus, and plus is spelled out, .org. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really easy to use, both both sites. Um, taprootfoundation.org will tell you a lot more about our programs. Taproot Plus is if you really just want to get involved right away easy, breezy, three simple steps, um, you know, get signed up and start seeing some projects that work for you.
0: Awesome. Well, again, Alethea Hanneman, the vice president of product and national programs at the Taproot Foundation. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. This was fun.
0: On the next episode of the nonprofit ready podcast, I'll be joined by Brittany Yelverton from girls empowerment network to discuss her work, recruiting volunteers to serve as mentors to girls in Austin, Texas, If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe at iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And while you're there, we would greatly appreciate it if you left us an honest rating and review. Finally, be sure to connect with us at nonprofitready.org, which offers more than 300 online learning resources to help you develop your nonprofit career, all 100% free. The Nonprofit Ready Podcast is a production of the Cornerstone On Demand Foundation. I want to thank our executive producer, Alec Green, our editorial director, Jeanette Lamb, our sound producer, Trung Ngo, and most importantly, you, for helping us to build the Nonprofit Ready community. Learn more about all of the capacity building programs of the Cornerstone On Demand Foundation at csodfoundation.org. Thanks for listening and have a good day.